Now, <clears throat> today is about joy, and everybody in the world wants to experience joy. Everybody also wants to rule the world, but that's a topic for another time. So, how can a person experience joy? The standard message of the world was summarized quite well a generation ago by Dick Brown's Hagar, the horrible character, who said, Oh, words of wisdom, words divine, no greater words than I got mine. Right? This is the base understanding of the world. Joy is found by getting yours. And this base setting of finding joy, supposed joy by getting what you want, is even taught in churches. I just grabbed this one at random. This is from a very <laughs> unknown but very popular pastor who said, believe and declare you're going to see promotion, healing, restoration, and vindication, right? All the above. At least the Viking was speaking with an ironic tongue-in-cheek in his, but it's all wrong, folks. None of that will bring joy. At best, that selfish attitude might gain you a fleeting moment of happiness. It will never bring your best life, not now, not later. The standard message of finding joy by getting what you want doesn't work. Listen, Frank McAndrew, psychologist at Knox College, a professor there, he says this, all of this tells us something about the fleeting nature of happiness. Emotion researchers have long known about something called the hedonic treadmill. We work very hard to reach a goal, anticipating the happiness it will bring. Unfortunately, after a brief fix, we quickly slide back to our baseline, ordinary way of being and start chasing the next thing we believe will almost certainly and finally make us happy. Studies of lottery winners and other individuals at the top of their game who seem to have it all. Regularly throw cold water on the dream that getting, I know, it's okay. We'll get to the good part in a minute. It, getting what we really want will change our lives and make us happier, close quote. God has a much better plan. And Good Friday is right at the center of it. Open your Bible, Philippians chapter 2, and let's, let's learn God's plan for experiencing true joy. Philippians chapter 2, uh, Philippians is right after Galatians and Ephesians, before Colossians in your New Testament. We'll read verses 1 through 4. It's all we're studying tonight is 1 through 4. Philippians 2. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 has the thesis statement right there. Fulfilled. Joy is fulfilled in interconnected humility, not in primarily looking out for self. First, here's how it works. First, look at your awesome blessings. That's the lesson in verse 1. By the way, that's also the headline you got inside your notes. Look at your, at your baby bulletin you got when you came in. And, uh, and you'll see in your notes there the headline on the left side, look at your awesome blessings. Verse 1 talks about these blessings that are certain for Christians. Now, by the way, don't let the if throw you. Uh, it, the, the letter is addressed to saints, that is, everyone who believes in Jesus. The Koine Greek in which this was first penned does not always move smoothly into English. In Greek, it's obvious, it's very obvious in Greek that this is a first-class condition. Of course, that makes us recoil and say in our prosperity gospel, first teacher imitation, what in the world is a first-class condition? Thank you. I'm so glad you asked. A first-class condition is something that is sure. It is certain. Uh, even though the word if is used, there are four ways that if can be used in Greek, four conditions. Here they are. First-class condition is something that is assumed to be true. I know it says if, but it's not if the way we use it. It's something that is, is sure. A second-class condition is something that is assumed to be false. You, you, even though it says if, you know it's false. 
third-class conditions, and, and there actually are two types of these, but they each have to do with things that are probable. This could be, this probably will be. And then fourth-class condition is something that's improbable. By the way, fourth-class never appears in the New Testament. Philippians 2.1 is a first-class condition. So, so the meaning is that these things are certain. These are assumed to be happening. Think of it like this. I need, um, I need two volunteers. Um, Gavin, come up here, and Annika, come up here. Come on, you two. We'll take you. All right, here we go. Come on up. Stand up here in the light in front of the candles. You take this one. Just hold it. Annika, you take this one. Look at Gavin, and you guys are going to have a conversation based on what's written in these. Okay, Gavin, read yours, if you would, please. Rotates on its axis, tomorrow will come. If the earth rotates on its axis, tomorrow will come. What do you think that is? Is that a first, second, third, or fourth class condition? Is it something you're sure, not sure? sure? Yeah, it's a first class. It's a sure thing. That's, that's what the earth does. It's going to do that. All right, Annika, read yours, if you would, please. If you love me, you will buy me a diamond ring. Yeah. Now, <laughs> is that... Is that a first class, that's, depending on how he feels, that's a third or fourth class condition, right? Okay, yeah, very good. Give him a hand, please. That was great. Thank you very much. <clears throat> now, look, look at your certain blessings in Christ. These are sure. First thing mentioned in verse 1 is that Christians have encouragement in Christ. Now, the term we translate encouragement is the Greek paraklesis, paraklesis. It's your fancy word for the day. You get to say paraklesis on the count of three, paraklesis. One, two, three. Paraklesis, very good. Um, paraklesis literally means not walking alone. Uh, so in English, it comes in as comfort or encouragement. Kids, hey kids, listen up. Suppose you have to walk down an alley, a scary dark alley at night in a strange city, unarmed, all right? You have to say that in Texas. <laughs> Would you rather do that alone, kids, or would you rather have Superman with you? What would you rather do? You'd rather have Superman. Okay, well, Jesus is the real Superman. Because of what he did on Good Friday, those who trust in him never, ever have to walk alone. Look, look, down, look down a page in your text, and let's read exactly what Jesus did. Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Jesus, fully God, became human. He died on the cross. That is, he walked down that dark alley alongside us, and he took the hurt that was ours. He gave his life. So that those who believe in him could live. He paid for the sin which stains every single person. Those who trust him have their sin debt paid. They are rescued. We who trust him are, look at your text, in Christ. We're made part of his retinue. That's, that's why we're so encouraged. That's why this is truly good Friday. Amen? Christians also have consolation of love. Do you see that? Jesus' love consoles you, Christian. You adults here know the truth, right? The adults will tell you, kids, that much of life is really, much of life really is like walking down a dark alley in a strange city unarmed. It is. But we're never alone, are we? Are we? Are we ever alone? Yes or no? No, most certainly not, because Jesus is always with us. His love consoles us. Read with me from Matthew 28. This is Jesus' great commission to his believers and his followers. You take the underlying text, Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me 
in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen, amen. There is, of course, great consolation and love. True love is with us always. God is love, and he promises to be with his people. Christians have these awesome certain blessings, which include fellowship with God. Look, look at your text. Christians have direct fellowship with God the Spirit. That is absolutely mind-blowing. The person of power who inspired David, who animated Samson, who convicts the world of sin, he has direct engagement with us? Wow. Just, just wow. And, and John reminds us that the entirety of the triune God is, is in fellowship with us. Look what he wrote, 1 John uh, chapter 1. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that what, everybody? Our joy may be complete. You, you see that? The Father, Son, Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity, they are in fellowship with Christians, and that fulfills joy. Everybody wants joy, and this is it. A few weeks ago, my favorite living author was in town, okay? A friend from here, Elizabeth, she, uh, she met this author at an event that she was speaking at and invited her to come to church. And she came. She came. Megan Whalen Turner, my favorite living author, came and sat and had tea in my office. She visited with these people that I grabbed and invited to come along. She sat and laughed and talked and told stories for an hour. It was absolutely wonderful. Now, as cool as that was, and it was really cool, that's nothing compared to verse 1. The triune God of the universe wants to have coffee with you every day. In his Bible, through prayer, through presence, Father, Son, and Spirit come to your home. They come to your school, your work, your, your, your gym. They want a fellowship with you. Amen? Can we say praise God for that? Finally, Christians have God's affection and mercy. Look, it's important to note, Paul doesn't only mention mercy. That's really significant. Mercy is wonderful. However, without affection, mercy can be kind of standoffish. You ever notice that? Uh, by adding affection, God ensures that we never feel like second-class citizens. We need God's mercy, granted through the cross, but we aren't only shown mercy. We're also loved. We're shown affection. All right, so look. Look at these four amazing certain gifts that God guarantees Christians. Encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, fellowship with God, affection, and mercy. Brianna Cagle, where are you? You don't know I'm calling on you, but I need you to come up here on the stage, please. Brianna Cagle, come on up. Come on, Brianna, come here. <clears throat> come here, buddy. Uh, your dad and I put together an Easter basket for you to work as an illustration of Philippians 2.1, all right? So you're going to stand right here. Just look out that way, all right? Now, we happen to know that some of your favorite things are, so we picked them out, and I want you to get to see them. Don't look. Don't look. Okay, first thing, Sour Patch Kids egg. Is that cool? Is that cool? Junior Mints. You like those, huh? What about nerds? Yeah, and? Cadbury mini eggs. Look, they're shiny ones. Isn't that wild? Okay, here, put all that back in there. Now, look at her face. Is she happy and excited about that? Yeah. That, that is, by the way, that's why we picked on you. We gave you a nice smile. Here, you get to hold this. Uh, you get to keep it, too. And I can't tell you, you're very blessed that's all there, because I was hungry this afternoon, and that was sitting on my desk. I love you. Um... As awesome as that is, that, 
that pales in comparison to what you've got in your Easter basket from God. Look, look at that. This, this is better than candy, and it lasts a whole lot longer. Give Brianna a hand. Thank you very much. Well done. In fact, the things that are in our basket, verse 1, our basket of verse 1, they allow us to know real joy. Look, look again at verse 2. Let's read verse 2 again. <clears throat> Fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Fulfill joy. This is a choice. You see, it, it's something we can do. We, he wouldn't say do this if we couldn't do it. You can fulfill joy based on how you or I utilize the amazing gifts that are in our verse 1 basket. Now, there are four things we need to do. Look at this. This is very, very well written, very careful crafting here. Notice there are four things that are listed that we have and then four things that we're supposed to do. Four blessings, four actions to do. And by the way, each of the actions has a specific example with it. Before we get to the four actions, I want you to notice the obvious verbiage of togetherness. Do you see that? Same, 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 one. Those are words of unity. Have you noticed how often this pops up in life? It's the core of so many stories all around the world. You learn unity, and that's when you really find joy. Biggest movie, the biggest hit movie in uh, the spring of 2019 is Shazam. Okay, unexpected hit, really, but a really good story. And the main idea is based on learning how to work together. In a family, Billy Bates finally learns to work together for the first time in his life. Instead of running away, he learns the power of same, 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 one. And you see the story, and it resonates with people because it touches a chord in every single human soul. Despite the reality of sin, God made us work better together. And Christians are empowered to be great at this, to be great at working together. So let's examine the four particulars of unity that Paul highlights. Thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. We need to think the same way. Listen carefully. Thinking the same way doesn't mean thinking the same things. This is not enforced uniformity. There's obvious diversity in our Christian unity since every tribe and tongue are welcome in Christ. Amen? Uniformity is actually a very non-Christian idea. Utopians and secularists have always pushed groupthink, not biblical Christians. Thinking the same way is understanding that we're in this together. In fact, thinking the same way is actually one word. That whole phrase, thinking the same way, it's one word in the original letter. Uh, phronete means to be wise or, or to have understanding together. To be wise together, have understanding together. This is actually as far from groupthink as one can get. The world demands conformity, right? Christians take their amazing gifts and they choose to understand and reason together. And verse 3 gives us a very specific way to live this out. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. You can't think the same. You can't be understanding together when you are conceited or acting from rivalry. This is not, listen, this is not disparaging healthy competition. Healthy competition can be very fine and good where you respect the other team and you grow in respect to them as you fight hard and try to win. God is exposing here our terrible sibling rivalry. He's pointing out that a movie based on, on most Christians could be titled Sibling Rivalry. It's not just for biological children, right? God is exposing us seriously. We think, guys, we are so conceited that we actually get angry when any little thing in life group doesn't go our way, right? We, we compare with other churches, with other Christians. It, it's absolutely sick. Ask yourself this. How many of my activities would change if I really were to do nothing 
out of rivalry or conceit. What things would I not say, not text, not post, if I never acted out of pride, insecurity, rivalry, comparison? Now, of course, it can be really hard to eliminate conceit, especially for very successful people, which is what you are. Our forefathers had a great name for this that I think can help. They called it vainglory. Vainglory. Vainglory was rightly seen as a serious sin by Thomas Aquinas and other late medieval thinkers. I think their terminology really helps. Here's what I've learned. If, if, I, if I will use their phrase, vainglory, I, I am more likely to fronete, to think in the same way. If I will call my conceit what it is, vainglory. If I will call my rivalry what it is, vainglory, it, it helps. By the way, it's especially telling that Aquinas warned against loving one's own opinions, that's a direct quote, and concern for public fame. Think about that the next time you're on social media. We must leave vainglory behind, and we must start fronete, thinking the same way. Secondly, we should also have the same love. This is not feel-good, self-serving, hippie love, man. No, this is purposeful, chosen thoughtful unity. This is action that knows that other people knows other people are stinky and chooses to love them anyway. Love here is a form of that great Christian word agape. It's a word really we ought to know in the Greek. So you get to say it on the count of three. Agape. One, two, three. Agape. Very good. Agape is other-centered, self-sacrificial love. So how does agape practically flesh out? Well, there are, there are many ways, but Paul shares a really big one. Look what he says. In humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Now, I see many of you do this, and you do it almost all the time. I, I just want to applaud you for a moment. You, you guys have partnered with God so well that it's now just reflexive for you. you. You think of others first without even thinking. Well done. That is an appropriate way to use your considerable powers for good. Yet, if I could, I'd like to suggest one area of possible improvement for many of us. It seems that many believers in Jesus, this sounds weird, but follow me here, many believers in Jesus find it easier to consider others more important when those others are non-Christians. I know it sounds weird, doesn't it? But maybe not. Think about it like this. You're having a really bad day. Okay, let's say you're having a bad day. You had a bad day. Okay, you're having a bad day. Are you more likely, just who you are if you're a believer in Christ, are you more likely to be grumpy to a complete stranger or are you more likely to be grumpy toward your own sister? Which is it? Yeah, it's the poor sister almost every time. Come on. Right? It is the, it is the sister. So please remember that the audience in Philippians 2 is a church. That means that this is addressing relationships within the family of God. And in this family, you need to have the same love. That's a love that considers other, other Christians before self. Third response, share the same feelings. Uh, Simsukos it's a, it's a compound word. It's made up of soon, which is a really important, powerful word for being together, and uh, psyche, or suke, soul. Uh, in my Bible, it's rendered same feelings. Probably the best translation would be united in spirit or in one accord. By the way, did you know that Hondas are in the Bible? It's, it's right here. And well, I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. In one accord. By the way, actually, this does not mean that we should all smash into one clown car. A better way to picture uh, Simpsikos is, uh, is a symphony. After all, the idea of symphony is rooted in this same concept. There's harmony from many different players all working from the same music. Now, in a practical sense, how is that done? Verse 4. So we have four things were given to us, 
four actions we need to take with those things and then examples for each one. Well, here's an example for sharing the same feelings. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others, right? A Christian doesn't, notice this, you don't stop caring for your own interests. <laughs> your work matters. So does your family, your neighborhood, etc. We're not called to some kind of nirvana where self ceases to matter. That's absurd, not to mention hopeless, dangerous, and impossible. You do matter. You matter to God, and you should matter to yourself, but you aren't all that matters. How do we act in one accord? We also look out for the interests of others. Tell me, is it important to leave work at a decent hour? Yes or no, is that important? Yeah, it, it is, because, because we have important interests. We have need for rest. We have families, activities. Those things get cheated when we stay too late too often. But what about when the interest of someone else comes up right at quitting time? A Christian sister of ours in Frisco had to deal with that issue not very long ago. Uh, this is Lori Ortel. She's a counselor at a Frisco Elementary School. She was about to wrap up the day. In fact, she was already running late when the Stop It app sent her an alert. Uh, Stop It, by the way, is this anonymous anti-bullying app. It's used by Frisco ISD and a number of other uh, school districts around the country. But the student who the alert came in from was not in FISD. They didn't know where she lived, but it wasn't in FISD. It wasn't even from Texas. Um, from here, I'm going to let Jacob, uh, or Jovin Paniker of the WFAA-TV tell the story. He, he tells it well. He says, the child revealed to them she was being bullied at school and she was, that she was attending and did not want to return. In the message that she sent, she said she was going to kill herself, Assistant Principal Jess Johnson said. It was an exchange lasting 50 heart-pounding minutes between administrators in Frisco and a child living, they didn't know this at the time, in Waynesboro, Virginia. During that exchange, the child admitted that she had taken pills. We knew that if that conversation stopped, we had no way of reaching her, Counselor Lori Ortel said. We stayed there and we fought for that girl's life that day. The steady stream of positive messages from the administrators, by the way, here they are, this is the vice principal, the principal and the counselor, uh, revealed enough information, they found out where she was and bought them enough time. Finally, they reached the local police and the police got to her. Though the school in Virginia where this child is from also utilizes the app, it was unclear how a desperate plea from Virginia was answered that day in Frisco. The app maker for Stop is still trying to figure that out. I love what Ortel said. We knew that glitch was a godsend, close quote. It is always a godsend always a godsend when we get the opportunity to look out for the interests of others. Amen? Don't you know that elementary staff left feeling true joy that day when they were leaving work? Because that's part of God's plan for genuine joy. All right, look, look, you've got these awesome certain blessings. This is in your Easter basket. Encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, fellowship with God, and God's affection and mercy. Therefore, we should think the same way, have the same goal, share the same feelings, and number four, Focus on one goal. All right, go back to the symphony parallel. Everybody in the orchestra has one purpose, right? To play from the same music according to the conductor's direction, right? Do you ever think about that? I read a fascinating, remarkable paper that tried to answer this question. Just read this recently. Why are conductors needed in professional orchestras? You know, it's a really good question. I mean, these musicians are professionals. They know what they're doing. They can play beautifully with depth and skill on their own. And yet, every experiment, I mean, everyone has yielded the exact same result. Whenever there is a symphony that tries to play without a conductor, it always underperforms. Most fascinatingly, a number of tests 
among people who were blind or blindfolded that were music critics, and they had no idea whether there was a conductor on stage or not, and they could tell. When there was no conductor, the music was considerably less in quality. It was off. The new study concluded, a quote I put in your notes, I liked it so much, the conductor is needed for focus. Somehow he gives the orchestra unity in focus. In fact, we further found that the more experienced and respected the conductor, the better the music. Close quote. Christians, our goal is to focus on our conductor, the Lord God Almighty. There is none more experienced. There is none more respected. If we will follow him alone, we can make beautiful music. But you're surely asking in your Hagar the Horrible imitation, where is the arrow? You know, all the other three had arrows. You know, there were, there were, there were three, four things you're supposed to do. The other three pointed, where's the arrow for this one? Great question. Thank you for asking, Hagar. The answer is the next paragraph. The fourth action of focusing on one goal, it's actually covered in example in the whole next section, which we will examine on Resurrection Sunday morning. For now, let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for me and I pray for my brothers and sisters that we will take advantage of our encouragement in Christ, that we'll recognize the consolation we have in love, that we will fellowship with you, that we will appreciate and rejoice in your affection and mercy. As a result, let, let us do what you've given us to do. Lord, I, I pray very boldly that we will think the same way that we will have the same love, share the same feelings, and focus on one goal. That is joy. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's here with us, anybody who's studying with us anywhere around the world that is not a believer in Jesus. Father, I beg you to draw them to you. Friend, listen, this is a good Friday. It's sober, it's painful to know that the Lord Almighty became in God the Son, became human and died for you. I, I know. But you needed him to. You, like me, are a sinner. You are separated from God's holiness by your sin, and that is a fact. And you cannot, <laughs> you cannot be good enough for a perfect God. Relationship with him is only found through Jesus. He humbled himself for the joy set before him to take death on the cross so that everyone who would trust in him could have everlasting life, fellowship with God forever. If you've never trusted Jesus, do so right now. There's no magic formula. This isn't paganism. Just talk to God. Confess that you are a sinner, that you need salvation, that you receive it from Jesus. All those great things that he shows us in his scripture that we just read, those are yours if you will trust Christ. If you'll believe on him for salvation. If you just prayed to trust Christ as Savior, everybody else is still praying, raise your hand. I want to rejoice with you. Super. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for these believers new and old, young and experienced. I pray that we will all find true joy in following our conductor. We are so grateful for the chance. In Jesus' name, amen.